Hey everyone, you are listening to the official podcast of the Evangelical Free Church of Ken, where our mission is to glorify God, helping each other become mature disciples of Christ as we worship, grow, serve, and reach. I encourage you right now to grab your Bibles and get those ready, and even further, I'd encourage you to grab a pen and something to take notes on, and we're actually going to shift gears a little bit this morning. We're taking a break from our normal series, and we're going to focus on something that, that is really pertinent to this time and this season, and so I'm joined here today with a friend and fellow leader And I'm going to let him introduce himself and let him also share a little bit more about why uh, we as leadership have decided to pause, shift gears a little bit this morning, and focus on something that's really applicable right now. Yeah. Well, thank you, Matt. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Bill Sieverts, and I'm one of the elders here at EFRI. And it's a real privilege to be here, to be invited to join you. Um, we're talking about a topic that we, as the leadership of the church, um, the elders, Matt, um, have decided is very timely and very important. Uh, as we were talking about this, uh, we're learning what the characteristics of Christ are and how we are supposed to understand Christ and then model Christ. And this is what we're going to do today. We're going to model Christ, how he acted and how he behaved. Um, In the book of Matthew, in chapter 9, Jesus is in the middle of teaching his disciples about a very important topic. He's teaching them about fasting. And then someone comes in. Someone barges in on him. I mean, this is a guy who is probably dirty and sweaty and he's out of breath because he just rushed in. And they weren't planning on this by any means. And this guy comes and he says, Jesus. And he had an urgent matter something that was very important. His daughter had just died, and he came to Jesus. And Jesus, instead of saying, no, you need to wait, let me finish up what I'm doing, he dropped what he was doing right then, and he went and he attended to this urgent matter. Now, because the man believed, Jesus was able to bring the guy's daughter back to life and praise the Lord. Right. Um, but what we're going to focus on is his response to an urgent matter, and that's what we want to focus on today. Um, what we want to talk about is we want to talk about how we as a church, how we as individual Christians respond to our government, to our community, and even to our fellow believers. Yeah, yeah. And so I, I, I want to preface this too and state that none of this has been decided flippantly or just on the cuff. And that's something that maybe could be easily misconstrued as uh, we as elders uh, have met multiple times during since March and really consistently each month anyway but additional times since March to discuss and think about what does this look like for us as a church and how do we even respond well and and in the midst of all of that um, there's been extensive study of scripture and prayer together and conversations that have ensued and we want to do so in order that we would most effectively communicate and lead you all as the church towards 
the, the response and the approach that's not going to diminish or distract us from what our ultimate mission and purpose should be biblically that still lines up, as even Bill said, with seeking to become more like Jesus. And so how do we do that? How do we navigate that? And just like each week we strive to really focus in on one main uh, focus point for the day, and that is if you get nothing else out of what we're going to talk about today, and there's a, <laughs> there's a lot here. Yes. <laughs> um, and, and this honestly could be something that easily we could go for much longer than the time we have. But if you get nothing else out of today, the main idea that we want to encourage you to wrestle with, be challenged with, and seek to apply is that a biblical response should always be the first response for the follower of Christ. A biblical response should always be the first response for the follower of Christ. And understanding in the midst of that that we don't always do that well, we don't always... uh, navigate these things to the best that we should, but that is what we should be pursuing to do consistently. And as leaders, that's our our deepest desire, is that regardless of what the rest of culture thinks, regardless of what even other places of faith might even think, our utmost desire is that we would be biblical first in our response in the midst of whatever's happening, whether it's a pandemic or it's a season where things are just really challenging, or it's how we handle our finances, or any of those things, our utmost longing and desire is to be biblical in our response. And so we're going to navigate this in several tiers, and to start this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to start by kind of laying a historical foundation for the rest of our discussion, and then we're going to look at multiple passages of Scripture to clarify what a biblical response should be during these unprecedented times. Um, And as we get started into that, I want to uh, just take a minute and pray for our time, pray for God to use this and speak clearly through His Word in order that we would be equipped to respond biblically in this time. So let's pray together. Father, I thank You so much for Your Word, for the truth that it reveals, and God, for the chance to study this together as we seek to move biblically in a season of unknowns and really uncertainties about what the future is going to hold. So I pray that you would give us clarity in this as a church, that we would be challenged to respond biblically, and God, that you would use this time to refine us and make us more like Jesus. We commit this to you for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. So really the first question we're, ha- we're asking in order to understand his- historically is, Uh, a little bit about what did the relationship between church and government look like in Scripture, and even what types of roles, governing roles, existed. So, Bill, you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, sure, Matt. Um, We know in our government today, things are pretty complicated, right? You have a lot of layers. (laughs) (laughs) And and, and not everyone's agreeing. Even in the government, the different levels of government are not agreeing. And we might think that things are more simple in biblical times, but they really weren't. You had different layers of authority, different um, layers of government in biblical times as well. You had the civil um, authorities, you know, starting with um, the emperor of Rome, um, all the way down to local governors, mayors, prefects. I mean, you had all kinds of different layers there. Um, then you had a military um, power in place, and yeah. we see that throughout the Bible. Um, we see centurions. Um, we see 
um, just soldiers. Right. We see um, people who have control over different um, numbers of people. And then we have the religious leaders, <laughs> which, yeah. uh, as we know, that was a mess. Yeah. In all honesty, it really was a mess. Um, and you had different sects of the, of the, different, uh, the different religious leaders right. as well. So what were, let's give some examples of even, because I think this is even <coughs> something, even if we just look at religious leaders mm. in the context of that, we think even today things are really complex. We have all these denominations and denominational right. leaders. And so, like, what were some of those even for people who might wonder what levels of religious uh, governing authority were, existed even then? Sure. Well, you have, like, the Sanhedrin which was the, the high council, right. if you will. Um, you had a high priest who sat over um, an authority of that. But within that Sanhedrin, you had different divisions. Yeah. You, you had Pharisees. You had Sadducees. Um, that was almost like um, Protestant and Catholic, if you want to break them up into right. um, different denominations like that. Yeah. Um, and even within those larger two groups, there were different groups. Yeah. Just like sure. we have denominations yeah. within the Protestant church. Yes. Yeah. And there was, it's interesting, too, because as you read throughout some of the stories of Scripture, you also see examples where some of those religious leaders are partnering with civil leaders, mm-hmm. and then especially Jesus comes into the picture, and all of a sudden you see a partnership of religious leaders with civil leaders against the things even of, that Jesus or his followers are teaching. Right. So you have these kind of messy dynamics taking place in, in a season where there was much shifting and changing amongst those leaders and even you had the Jesus and his ministry which stirred the pot even more of what the response was going to be and that doesn't even take into account the response of all the other people who were observing even those governing tensions so there's a lot (laughs) there's a lot there and it didn't end with Jesus after Jesus that's true um, after Jesus was crucified and then risen um, those same civil authorities remained in place, and in fact, the same Jewish religious um, leaders remained in place. Yeah. Uh, and then you had another layer with the Christian faith. Yeah. And so it's, in, it's important. We, we really want this to be understood from the perspective that we don't just want to be removing passages out of Scripture and taking them out of their own context and then applying them to our own circumstances without seeking to first grapple with how these specifically applied to the church, the followers of Jesus, in the day and age that they were written. And so understanding some of these structures are in place, uh, and you could, I'd encourage you to, to even <coughs> read Scripture with a desire to understand some more detail about these structures. Uh, and this is one of those areas where even though the Bible doesn't talk a lot about the specifics, bring in some extra biblical sources that highlight the historical cultural element of Scripture, and that's just going to accent it, accent your own uh, understanding of why these passages were so significant at the time that they were written, and bring us to just a better understanding of okay, this is the structures that were in place, and we can relate to that in some ways. Some ways it's going to be a little different, but the truths that are communicated become even more powerful when we can understand that. Um, so in continuing to build on our foundation, it's really not only pertinent for us to understand government structures in Scripture, but also the structure of the church. Right. Because this is something that we see built throughout specifically the New Testament, where the church is established. And so uh, let's talk a little bit about the church and w- its beginnings and how we kind of see it evolve throughout Scripture. 
Sure. Well, we, we see the church really established, um, obviously, after Jesus right. um, in Acts 2 yeah. is where we first see the believers um, who would gather together. And interestingly, they wouldn't have said, we're going to go to church. Right. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> they, they would not have said we're going to go to this place and we're going to call it the church. They would have said, if anything, we are the church. Right. And wherever we are, that is the church. Yeah. Yeah. So like, it would have been more along the lines of, hey, we're going to gather together. Right. We're, we're going to or we're going to worship together or we're going to break bread. Yes. Is another common term. You see that specifically in Acts 2 when they're mm-hmm. talking about what they devoted themselves to. But then we also see, uh, sometimes we limit our scope of view of the church and its mission and purpose to just acts. Right. And it extends well beyond that to Paul's letters to the churches and the pastoral epistles and even into Revelation. Right. Yeah, much of the New Testament is um, God establishing his church. So what we see early on in Acts is really the infant church. And it, as right. throughout the New Testament, we see it maturing. And then when we get to the seven letters in Revelation, we actually see the most mature picture of the church that we have. But it's still very young. Yes. It's still, you know, only decades old. Correct. Yeah. And, and so then even when you read Paul's letters, you see these focuses come back to uh, how, how you can mature, how you can grow to be more the church that you've been called to be and, and refocus on these things that God has stated are most important and put, put aside the things that uh, are, are seemingly pointless controversies and even, even states that directly. Put, right. Like don't involve yourselves in pointless controversies and genealogies and just quarrels about words, but rather a focus on really coming back to the center stage of the purpose, the mission of the church, what that's supposed to be, and really the question of what has God called the mission and the purpose of the church to be. Mm-hmm. And it was, in Scripture, it, it was all about people and people becoming more like Jesus, which is the entire reason we took the time to, to work on a series where we're seeking to become more like Christ, is if we're not pursuing that together, then we're missing the point. And it was never, as Bill already said, it was never about a, a building per se. Mm-hmm. And that, that, may, that may come across and, and make you cringe a little, especially in this time. Right. Uh, and yet, it's important for us, again, if we're seeking to understand this biblically and, and seeking to respond biblically, we also need to understand biblically what we are called to as the church. So... A question in the midst of the discussion on the church right. clearly becomes more practical. Does this current situation prevent us from fulfilling the purpose and the mission of the church? Right. Does this situation actually prevent us from carrying out what God has called us to as His body, as the, the bride of Christ, as Scripture would refer to it as, and maybe even the more accurate question that people are asking in this seems to have very little to do with whether or not the church can fulfill its purpose. Um, but based on what we've discussed thus far, the purpose of the church becomes consistent regardless of culture or scenarios and really comes back to what Jesus established, right. which we could reference Matthew 28, and we're going to look at that a little later, and Matthew 22 
uh, Jesus giving the, the, the two greatest commandments where he says love, love God, love people, and then the great commission, which that's not actually in scripture as far as the terminology, it was really a command of Christ to his disciples to go make more disciples. And you make more disciples by sharing the truth that Jesus came that we could have life. Right. And, and expressing that clearly. So if we see even just those two, those kind of three things, love God, love people, share the gospel as the overarching summary purpose and mission of the church. Mm-hmm. And we ask the question, does this current situation prevent us from fulfilling or doing that? Many people would probably answer, well, probably not. Uh, but more, more importantly, people are asking the question is, does not meeting in a building together prevent us from fulfilling the purpose of the church? So this is the part where we're going to open scripture and, and we're going to look at some specific scripture passages regarding this idea of gathering to gain a biblical understanding of what the scripture is speaking of when we speak of gathering together. And then we're going to move into some more questions specifically related to our response to government and how we should process some of that. So, Bill, why don't you go ahead and read for us? Yeah, I'm going to read from Hebrews chapter 10, um, starting in verse um, 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promises faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. And I really think that's worth re- repeating right there. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> All right. So let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet one another, or not, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. So, Bill, this off the cuff, it seems like maybe to the average person that this is a command of Scripture not to neglect meeting together. Right. And, and if you just read that and you take it without thinking too much about it, that's what you can get out of it. But there's more to it than that. Yes. Um, I believe what people are overlooking sometimes is that before it says stop meeting together, it says let us consider how we may stir one another to love and good deeds. Right. How we may encourage one another. Yes. And one of those ways is to meet together. Yeah. But it's not the only way. Right. Right. And it seems to be that the reason for meeting together then ties logically from that back into the whole reason to meet together in Hebrews 10 is so that you can consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Right. And so you could even... In some senses, argue ago, is that why we want to meet together, or do we just want to meet together because it's, it's what's comfortable? Mm-hmm. And now understand, and I'm just going to sidebar here for a minute, as we're going through this, I want to be clear that in no way is our desire to communicate that we don't want to be meeting back together. As leaders, as we're processing and thinking through this, our yearning and desire is to be able to gather as the church Again, and to do that in the most biblically sound way possible for the, for the times. Right. 
And so in the midst of what, as you hear us talk about this, don't, don't gather from that that we're trying to make a case to you for not gathering together at all. Because that's not our desire. Our desire in the midst of this is to think critically about biblically what is the church called to and how do we best fulfill that calling in a season of unknowns and uncertainties when it comes to the future. And so think about it that way and, and, and don't interpret. We all as, as, as leaders would communicate to you, yes, we would love to be able to meet back together. That is a personal desire of ours. But it's important, once again, that we first think biblically because that should be our first response right. in every situation as followers of Christ. And the book of Hebrews, it's really interesting. We were talking about this the other day. There, it really is all so intertwined that it's difficult to just pull one section out of Hebrews. And if you go into your Bible and you look, every chapter except 1 and 13, the bookends, start with a word that implies you need to know what's happening before in order to fully understand what the next chapter says. And so what we see throughout the book of Hebrews is this emphasis on the person of Jesus, his sacrifice being all-sufficient and completely atoning, and his role as the high priest, really the fulfillment of the sacrificial system that you saw in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, and it carries through. And so... If someone sees that dynamic, um, Bill, what, what's the significance of all of those pieces tying into this passage in Hebrews 10? That's just a small question there. I know, right? <laughs> You've only got two minutes. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, really, I think the importance, what the, what the writer of Hebrew is trying to point us to is that the old system is gone yes. and that there is a new system in place. And that new system goes solely and entirely through the body and blood of Christ. Yeah. Um, it's not about where we are. It's really not even about who you're with other than with God through yeah. Jesus Christ. Um, the writer of Hebrews talks about going, not needing a temple anymore right. because we are the temple because yes. God indwells us. Um, the writer talks about not needing a high priest because we have Jesus Christ who is as well as we can understand it, right. our high priest before God. Um, so while, if we look at the entire scriptures, the entire Bible, there's many reasons to meet together. It is not the only way to commune with God. Yes. And how significant is that to think about that <clears throat> even the focus of this passage in Hebrews 10 is about you no longer need the building. Right. Because through Christ, you can enter into the holy places any time. You can literally come before the presence of God through Christ at any point. And that's the, 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 the miracle Absolutely. that's taken place in Jesus is that we don't have to come to... God doesn't somehow just live in the building that we call the church. Right. As he once dwelled on the Ark of the Covenant in the temple, mm -hmm. and only the, those appointed to enter into that space could on behalf of the people. And so when it refers to Jesus as our high priest, that he's in, entered in once and for all, it means that if we're in Christ, we have constant access to the holy places where God himself dwells. And so 
if anything, you could almost argue from this passage in Hebrews 10 that the encouragement to not forsake gathering has very little to do with any building or structure, structure because right. just prior to that, it's actually spoken against the need for that anymore. Right. And there would not have been that centralized structure to meet in for Christians. Yes. Um, in the early church, in the in Acts church, they met at the temple. But that quickly would have gone away. Right. They would have no longer been free to do that. Correct. So um, I'm sure that some of the original audience of Hebrews were meeting what we might call a house church. Yeah. Where they were meeting in smaller groups. Yep. Yes. Yeah. So significant thoughts here. And I encourage you, again, jot these down, wrestle with them. And as we, as we, as we think about these things... And as we think about not being able to gather as one large group right now, um, the command to not forsake meeting together, mm-hmm. it still exists. Yes. And it's, it's one pretty major application point that you could pull from this, that a biblical response in this time is to evaluate, how can I continue to gather with people? And it, it's going to look different. Mm-hmm. It, it, some of you have been gathering on Zoom, or you FaceTime with people. Some of you have had some smaller groups of, of 10 and under uh, in your homes or in other spaces and have continued to do that. And so I, I, I just want to speak a direct challenge for you to consider in accordance with Hebrews 10. We should not forsake meeting together. And that command is true, but if we, if we limit what that says to just Sundays, then I think we're limiting the scope and the impact the church can have by, by restricting that access to something that can only be facilitated on a Sunday in a, in a really large group gathering. So consider, as Hebrews 10 says, consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not forsaking to meet together. So maybe it's today you need to call someone and ask them, hey, what have you been doing for Christ in this time? Who, who have you been reaching out to? Who have you been praying for? Who have you been encouraging? And, and maybe you realize I have not been stirred up to love and good works, and I need to do that. And our prayer would be this would be a way that we could do that, even though we're not physically together, to stir you up, to encourage you and exhort you. Go and be Christ in your community. Be the example of Jesus. Uh, go back and, and look at what we've studied thus far and what it looks like to be like Christ and then seek to apply that practically as we move forward into a season of unknowns and, and who knows how long this is going to be what, what exists in place and these regulations and, and all that's taking, taking place. Now, with that being said, I just want to affirm again and empathize alongside of you the struggle with some of the decisions that governing authorities have made. This has been really difficult, and I completely understand and, and, and recognize and agree with many of the frustrations and the burdens and the, the anxiety that you all are feeling in the midst of this. And trust me when I say, if you were to again come to our leaders and say, do you affirm and agree with everything the the government is doing right now? I'm pretty sure all of us would say no. 
we don't agree with everything the government is doing right now. But the question then turns to and becomes, if we don't agree with the decision that government is making, how should we respond? What should our response as followers of Jesus be when the government makes a decision or multiple decisions that we don't agree with? And coming back to our main idea, a biblical response should be the first response for every follower of Christ. A biblical response should be the first response for every follower of Christ. So, the next question we're asking is, what is the biblical response to the government telling us that we can't meet in a large group? That, that's the kind of the elephant in the room. Right. The, the reason we're having this is because people are going, we want to be back, we want to meet, and we're going, we do too, but <laughs> there's a right and a wrong way to go about this biblically. And so I want to direct your attention first off to Romans 12, and then uh, I'm going to read a couple verses out of Romans 12, and then I'm going to read some verses out of Romans 13, and then uh, Bill's going to share for us out of 1 Peter 2, and so you can jot all of these down. And Romans 12, we've studied that a couple of times, and uh, at the beginning of Romans 12, it says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers... By the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So right off the bat, you have this challenge. I need to present my, myself as a living sacrifice, ultimately for the purposes of God, testing what the will of God is. And that's asking the same question we're seeking to ask this morning. Biblically, according to God's truth, how should I respond to all that's happening? And specifically, how should I respond to governing authorities? So now turn your attention just over a chapter to... Uh, Romans 13, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 7. It says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience." For because of this, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. So another challenging passage, and I want to, before we talk about this more, I want to pair it with what First Peter says as well. Right, because I would like to say that mine is lighter <laughs> than that, but truly it's not. So Second Peter, or First Peter, chapter two, um, starting at verse eleven, 
Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as a people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Every time I read this, there's so, there's so much there. There's so much to process there. But there's a consistency in these, in these passages that speaks specifically about being in subjection to governing authority. And so even to consider, what is, what is subjection? What, what does that mean? What does that look like? And how do we, how do we understand that concept? And really... It's the, the, the word subjection there is a biblical understanding of putting yourself under the authority of, mm-hmm. of, of putting yourself in a place where you see that this individual is in a place of authority, governing authority, civil authority, and going back to even what we started talking about at the beginning of this, that would not have been a really easy thing. Nor comfortable. Right. The, the governing authority and the Christians of the day didn't get along. Yes, um, whether you're talking about the civil authority or the religious authority. Right. And so to, for them to be told to subject, subject yourself to every human authority, that was not comfortable. Right. It's easy if you're on the same side. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And so if they, if they were just speaking about subject yourself to everyone you agree with, it would, be, it would seem pointless sure. to even, even encourage or challenge the church to mm-hmm. do that. Because well, that's easy enough. I already do that. Right. By by default, I'm I'm tended to easily submit myself under the authority of someone who who speaks my language or who I agree with the decisions they're making. Mm-hmm. But that becomes a whole different ballgame whenever you're talking about someone who could very well be putting into place uh, rules and regulations that make life more challenging for you. Right. Um, and it's not only to put yourself under the authority, but it's the attitude with which you do it. That's so huge. And how easy is it for us, especially in our culture today, to just have a really sour attitude towards government? Well, I'll do it, but I'm not happy about it. Yeah, or I, I, will, <laughs> I, will, I will kind of do it, but I'm going to be really vocal right. in a really nasty way about what you're doing and how much I disagree with it. And I, I think that it can easily be, when you read in that section of 1 Peter 2, where it says, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. In the context, it's speaking specifically about live as people who are free. You're free in Christ. You're free as followers of Jesus. So live as people who are free in Christ. Don't put yourself back into bondage. Like, be bondservants of Christ, ultimately. Live as servants of God. Right. But don't use that freedom as a cover-up for evil. And I'm just burdened by how much even people in the church do this today. Correct. And you could even say here, if you, if you interpreted this through American freedom, live as people who have American freedoms and, and rights. 
But don't use that freedom as a cover-up to be wicked and nasty and evil about it. Mm -hmm. To slander anyone is biblically a sin. Whether it's someone you agree with or not, if you are biblically slandering or gossiping about someone, that's, that's against the biblical command to become more like Jesus. And some of you may, may say, well, I don't have access to face-to-face communication with the governor, and so I can't do that. Well, that doesn't make it right for you to slander that person behind their back or all over social media or whatever avenue you use simply because you have an excuse that maybe you don't have face-to-face interaction with them. Mm-hmm. But they, they, to, to verse 17, put it, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. This whole idea comes back to what is our attitude and what we're saying and how we're communicating it, saying about who we're following. Right. Ultimately, if we're seeking to follow Christ then how we go about responding to these things should reveal Christ in us more than it reveals our own selfish selves. And that's, again, it's easy for us to sit here and talk about this from a biblical perspective. It's a whole other entity to go out and live it and to actually put this into practice and and faithfully carry out uh, these commands and understand, too, that what, what is the point? Why should I continually submit myself to this? Well, understanding that Romans 13, verse 2 says, Whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. Like, like there's... You resisting government authority, like, just stubbornly and, and, and pushing against all of that because of your, your freedoms... We're the ones who are going to incur judgment for our attitudes and ultimately our responses. Now, in the same way, the governing leaders are going to answer and be responsible to God based on the roles they were put in and what they carried out in those roles. And we even see God carrying out those judgments in the Old Testament to leaders who profaned the name of God and who pursued evil, wicked, awful practices. God often brought judgment right then and there. And we know from the rest of Scripture that everyone's going to give an account. And so ultimately, we're going to give an account for how we respond in this circumstance in the same way that we're going to give an account for how we respond to our spouse or our kids when we disagree with them. So, the, the question that follows all of this, and, and many of you may be wrestling with, is going, now there's, there's these situations I can identify where it is, it is very much against biblical command. And the government is okay with that. Are you saying I'm just supposed to submit to that? And abortion would be one of those issues. Mm-hmm. The government is, is saying abortion is okay. Are you saying by submitting to the governing authorities that I, I just have to go with that? And the answer is very clearly no. Mm-hmm. But it still remains consistent that how we respond to those issues should be consistent with Scripture, a, a biblical response. And so going further than that, the the... The last question we're going to ask before really an application question is when and how is it okay for us to defy government authority as a Christian? When, when and how do I do that? And so flip with me to Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5. <clears throat> and what's taking place here in Acts is we know in the beginning of Acts, Acts 1 and 2, Jesus ascends into heaven. He leaves his disciples, which are also known as the apostles, to carry out the mission of spreading the gospel to every, every nation. 
And so in, uh, in Acts chapter 5, um, we see, we see uh, an instance where the religious and civil leaders kind of, you see a partnership together against the, the apostles. And so I'm going to start reading in verse, uh, uh, in verse 17, actually, is where I'm going to start reading. And it says that the high priest rose up and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors, brought them out, and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council, all of the senate of the people of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison, so they returned and reported, We found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And someone came and told them, Look, the men who, whom you put in prison are standing in the temple teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witness to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. So here we have an instance where the apostles are teaching the very truth of the gospel, the very message that Jesus proclaimed and fulfilled. And the religious and civil leaders come and say, you need to not teach this message. Stop teaching this truth. And in response to this, the apostles say, we must obey God and not men. In response to this, clear message that you need to it wasn't that you need to stop gathering together it was you need to stop preaching this message and understand here too that the guards were even afraid that the people were going to stone them in other words it seems that the apostles had enough say and influence that they could have raised a ruckus when they were arrested and the people would have risen up and seemingly attacked the very individuals that had come to arrest them and yet that's not their response they go with the guards, and it says that they took them quietly. Well, that required that they too went quietly. They went willingly. Yeah, that willingly they went after they'd been in prison, mm-hmm. and yet because they knew they were aware of the power through Christ, they went knowing that ultimately nothing was going to squelch this mission and this teaching that was brought about. It's interesting, uh, when we were in our elder meeting uh, the other day, uh, one, of our, one of our leaders brought up a, a previous teaching by R.C. Sproul on the relationship between church and civil government authority. And the, the quote went something like this, how do, we, how do we know when we should defy 
openly defy governing authority. And the two questions that could be asked in response to that is, is the government asking us to do something that Scripture forbids? Or is the government telling us not to do something that Scripture commands? In other words, is, are they asking me to do something that the Bible says is wrong? And if so, we must obey God and not men. Or is the, is the government telling us not to do something that Scripture commands? And in that instance, as the, it was here in Acts 5, right. the response is, we must obey God and not men. And so the question we have to wrestle with in this time is, is anything that's taking place right now preventing us from fulfilling our mission and purpose as a church? And the answer is no. I can still go to my neighbor and share the gospel. I can still take food to someone in need. I can still encourage people. I can pick up my phone and do that consistently, even in this time. We can even continue meeting together. Yes. Just in a different form. In a different form, in a different form and fashion in the midst of this. And so what does it look like to defy governing authority? When is that okay? And honestly, the answer is, when they're asking us to defy the very truths of Scripture in, in correlation with our mission and purpose as the church, mm-hmm. when, they're, when they're seeking to, to single out even the church and say, you are the only ones that need to stop what you're doing. And everyone else can continue, but you need to stop, which again we see here in Acts 5. Right. And, and when that takes place, we need to respond by saying we're going to obey God and not men. But understand in that too, we need to respond respectfully. We need to respond gently. We, we need to respond not out of our flesh, but out of a desire to still model Jesus. Just as they did. Yeah. And just as in the book of Daniel, you see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they, um, you know, they were speaking of God and they would not bow down. Right. And um, Nebuchadnezzar told them that you will bow down to me. And they said, um, we respect you, king. But we will not. And if you choose to throw us in the furnace, then we'll go. Yeah. That's whatever will come will come. Right. Um, And Daniel himself, when he um, was forbade to or when he was commanded to bow down to the king and then did not, um, he quietly walked home, went up to his room where he always did three times a day, bowed down and prayed quietly. He didn't make a scene. Yes. And then when he was led to the den of lions, he went. Yes. Yeah. So you see multiple instances of people still defying, but the, the reason they were defying was really clear and, and mm-hmm. specific to what God had called them to in, in areas of worship. Right. And it was singling them out. And, and there was no way around. Yes. There was no option. That <clears throat> yes. You will very clearly stop doing what God has told you to do. Whereas with us in the stop meeting together. Right. You know, we're not being told you can't see each other. Right. Um, yeah. Just as any group, you cannot meet right. together. Right. And realistically, church, our purpose and mission as a church does not change. Regardless of what the government says, the methods in which we go about that mission do and have to change. That's been consistent throughout history, and it's going to continue to be consistent. The methods change in which we go about it, but the mission stays the same. Now, we've talked about a lot. We've covered a ton of stuff. And, and I'm just going to remind you again, our, our focus on this is that a biblical response should be the first response for the follower of Christ. And so the last kind of application question we want to ask and give you some po- specific pointed guidance is, 
how do I or should I live biblically today with what we're dealing with right now? And so we're going to go to two places. I'm going to take you to Matthew 28 first. And we've talked a little bit about these, but Matthew 28, starting in verse 18, it says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The command of Christ specifically to go and do. Go make disciples. That command, that commissioning remains the same today. So in answer to the question, how do I or should I respond biblically today? Go share the gospel with someone. Go be the hands and feet of Christ in our culture, in our community. Go and do. Similar passage Jesus' words exactly. I'm going to let you read. Sure, Matthew 22. Um, I'm actually going to start in verse 34. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Interesting, right? He's asking a question to test Jesus. (laughs) Teacher, which which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Mm. And that's saying something. Yes, it is. Love God, love people, neither of which are being hindered right now. Our ability to do that is consistent. We can still do that. Practically, right. it's being challenged. It is being challenged because it's it's, it's out hard of the for norm. Us. <laughs> it's it's a total shift away from what we're used to. Right. And in some ways, it's a shift away from being able to check a box. Right. I mean, that's really the challenge. Is we like routine and schedules and the mm-hmm. check a box of I can come to church. I saw people. I sat in my class. I heard the sermon and opened my Bible. And now I'm going to go and I'm going to do the rest of my week the same way. All right. that's just been tossed. It's been upended. And so, yet those truths, love God, love people, share the gospel, share the hope of Christ, remain the same, even in this time. And we could still do them. We could still do them. We could still, but it takes more effort on our Mm -hmm. part. And it's all the more important to do them now. Oh my goodness, yes. Because we don't have the structure. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, as we think about that and think about loving God, loving people, we think about sharing the gospel, we think about respecting authority... I want to I speak directly to a couple of things. One, we've already kind of said this, but respecting, honoring, subjecting yourself to government authority does not mean that you need to agree with what's being said or done. It's not what we're saying. But what we are saying is how you respond to the areas you disagree with should be measured and they should be biblical in, in how you do that. So... There's really practical ways that we can help influence change in what decisions are being made by networking with political individuals who have a direct voice. And to, to, I know many of you who have made phone calls and have sent emails to representatives and people in the political er- arena and, and it, to, to try and help influence some of this. That's a practical action step we can take without just blasting things online or in our, in our social circles, like, wh- how, what is the ratio in our, in our lives as followers of Christ to 
blasting or disagreeing with government as opposed to praying for government. Like, you want a really convicting challenge. Ask yourself that question. How much time do I devote to disagreeing with them? And how much time do I really devote praying for my leaders? And then compare that to what the Bible says. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And so we can disagree and we can do it in a way that's honoring. And we even see this in the beginning of Daniel. Right. Where they were, they were requiring them to eat food that went mm-hmm. against what, what God had commanded mm-hmm. these, these young Jew, Jewish men to do. And they didn't just up and rebel and say, no, we won't eat mm-hmm. your food. But they proposed a compromise. Like, well, let's, let's find some middle ground here. And, and things need to change a little bit. Mm-hmm. But they did it with respect still to those people who were in authority. And it's interesting at the very beginning of Daniel when, when you look at Daniel's response and you wonder how were they able to do that. It says that he purposed in his heart that he was going to follow God. Yeah. It was a pre-decision. Yes. And that's really what so much of our lives, if we're going to re- respond like Christ, we have Correct. to make that decision before we get there. Absolutely. How am I going to respond? Absolutely. Yeah. So network with people. Vote as a civil duty. There's so many people, I feel like, that don't take that initiative, and then mm-hmm. they complain about it. They complain mm-hmm. about it. So, like, vote based on a biblical and truth-filled conscience of, of who should be in those roles. Like, mm-hmm. play your part in that. Right. That's an action, practical action step that you can take to, to live biblically, respond biblically. And speak out, uh, again, speak out against decisions that are being made, but do so with the love of Christ. Right. Do so with honor and respect for the role that they hold, but primarily saying, I, I'm serving the Lord, both in how I talk and how I respond to these situations. And then brainstorm how you can fulfill that love God, love people, and share the gospel this week. Brainstorm how you can do that practically, and ultimately, in each way you encounter this, ask the question, what is the biblical response? Because I want the biblical response to be the first response in every situation for me. I, w- I want that to be the primary focal point. And we as leaders have, have made the decision to say, we're, we're going to seek to the best of our abilities to continue to follow government instructions and recommendations and we're going we're gonna to still find ways to encourage and equip you as the church to meet together to, to do this well. And, and yet in the midst of this, we're also speaking with city leaders and health leaders and, and figuring out ways that we can communicate with representatives to be a part of the discussion as a church uh, to influence change and potentially change the, the restrictions that exist. But we will not as a church, just act in utter defiance to our governing authorities because we don't see that as the biblical response. And the more this goes on, we'll continue to, to ask the question, how do we do this biblically? Because that should be the first response. Right. And we'll continue to monitor what we are being told to do or not do. Correct. And if that does reach a point where we are told to do something that God tells us not to do or told not to do something that God yes. tells us to do, then we'll respond appropriately exactly. there as well. That biblical response. Yes, and, and in defiance, but in respectful, gentle, focused on representing Christ, representing what God has called us to as the church as our, as our main priority. So, this has been a lot, church. And we've covered a lot of ground. I, I encourage you to sit down after this, maybe over lunch with your family, or even practice this and invite some people over and discuss 
how you can take action biblically in this time and to even admit areas where you just haven't responded biblically in this time. To practice that and really challenge yourself with what Scripture is saying. And let's do this, let's do this God's way. Let's do this the biblical way because ultimately that's what's going to reap the greatest reward is if we commit to saying this is what's most important and we're going to be shaped most by this, not by what's going on around us. Let's seek to be a consistent source of hope and joy because of the hope that we have in Jesus. Amen. And let's respond biblically first in every situation that we encounter. Let's pray together. Lord, thanks for this time this morning. Thank you that you are a God who is faithful and who've given us a mission that continues regardless of what's going on around us in our culture. We pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ all over the world as they seek to do this well. And many of them face these kinds of challenges all the time. So God, give us strength, give us perseverance, focus our attention on you and what you've called us to, and may we represent Jesus well. We pray this in his name.